Hey there! Welcome to the first episode of Challenger Approaching, a podcast about the history behind every major franchise featured in the Super Smash Bros. series. I'm your host, freelance games journalist and author, Ben Bertoli. While I'll certainly be attempting to hit all the key moments and aspects of each franchise's storied past, I'm not going to dwell on any one part for too long. Insignificant series entries and unimportant details will likely be left on the cutting room floor, so I can give you the best overview of the franchise as a whole and explain its connections to the Super Smash Bros. universe. During each episode, I'll also sit down with the guests to discuss a game or a part of the franchise that they remember fondly or find intriguing. And just a quick warning that I'm absolutely terrible at pronouncing Japanese words and names. So, I apologize in advance. For our first episode, we'll be focusing on the ghastly ghouls and haunted halls featured in one of gaming's most macabre and monster-filled series, Castlevania. The first entry in the Castlevania series was released in Japan in 1986 as Akomaju Dracula, which roughly translates to Demon Castle Dracula. The game, created by developer Konami, launched for the Famicom Disk System, a floppy disk add-on for Nintendo's first major home console that was never sold outside of Japan. Sales of Demon Castle Dracula were good. Good enough that Nintendo and Konami agreed to release the game in North America as part of the Nintendo Entertainment System's official second wave of titles. The game's Japanese moniker was deemed a bit too satanic sounding by American Konami executives, and they promptly changed the name to the iconic Castlevania. Oddly enough, the game's launch in North America coincided with the 90th anniversary of the famous novel that brought vampires into the limelight, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Set in 1691 in Transylvania, the original game puts players in the shoes of Simon Belmont, a descendant of the legendary vampire-slaying Belmont clan. According to the game's instruction manual, 100 years have passed since Count Dracula was last vanquished, and wouldn't you know it, he's been resurrected once more. Not only is Dracula back, but his enormous castle of minions and magic have also reappeared. The gameplay of the first Castlevania was that of a linear platformer. Players guided Simon Belmont through six stages of Dracula's castle, fighting off demons and monsters along the way. Simon's weapon of choice, dubbed the Vampire Killer, is a metal whip. Aside from his whip, Simon can also equip a single sub-weapon, such as an axe, a cross, or holy water. Unsurprisingly, many of these original weapons have found their way into Simon's Super Smash Bros. moveset, making him one of the most ranged fighters in the game's enormous roster. Only three months after Castlevania hit store shelves in North America, its sequel released in Japan under the title Dracula II, Seal of the Curse. It would be over a year until the game, now known as Castlevania II, Simon's Quest, launched in the West. Simon's Quest kept many of the same aspects of its predecessor, but added in a few new RPG elements, a day and night cycle, and a far less linear world to explore. Players could now manage their inventory of items, level up their health, and gather information from a cast of townspeople. Readers of the newly released Nintendo Power magazine were met with a gruesome sight when Simon's Quest graced the cover of the second issue. A hulking man, meant to be Simon Belmont, could be seen holding the decapitated head of his foe, Dracula. The graphic nature of the depiction was met with nightmares from younger readers and outrage from parents everywhere. It was eventually named by future editors to be the worst cover in the magazine's long history. 
Having already conquered television screens in pixel form, Simon Belmont premiered as one of the main protagonists in the cheesy 1989 cartoon series Captain N, the Game Master. Fighting alongside characters from Mega Man and Kid Icarus, Simon is portrayed as a muscle-bound pretty boy who falls head over heels for the current ruler of Videoland, Princess Lana. The series lasted three seasons and introduced a wide audience of children to the world of Castlevania. The last Castlevania entry for the NES, 1990's Castlevania III Dracula's Curse, returned the series to its original action platforming lineage, dropping many of the second game's adventure elements. The game's branching storyline and multiple playable characters are also the basis for the excellent animated Castlevania series, which premiered on Netflix in the summer of 2017. With gratuitous blood, guts, and mature content, the Netflix series was a far cry from the goofy antics of Captain N. As gaming entered its fourth generation, Konami made the decision to remake the original Castlevania adventure for the Super Nintendo, under the title Super Castlevania 4. Though it kept many of the same story elements and environments, the game added new moves and a handful of new stages. Not to mention, it looked a whole lot prettier than the 8-bit original. Next up on the Castlevania release schedule was a game that many felt was the best in the series at the time. Castlevania Rondo of Blood. And you may be asking yourself, as I did, what exactly a rondo is? As it turns out, the word rondo refers to both music that is fast and vivacious, as well as music with a reoccurring leading theme. Here's a quick example from Beethoven's Piano Sonata No. 8. Rondo of Blood was notable at the time of its release for being the first CD-based entry in the series and being the only game to appear on the PC Engine home console, known as the TurboGrafx-16 in the rest of the world. Rondo also introduced players to fan-favorite characters Maria Renard and Richter Belmont, the latter of which appears in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate as an Echo Fighter for Simon Belmont. Two years later, in the summer of 1995, Konami released a remake of Rondo of Blood on the Super Nintendo. Well, sort of a remake. Dubbed Castlevania Dracula X, the game was considered by most to be a significant downgrade in almost every regard from the PC Engine original. Levels were reworked, dropped, and altered to give players less paths, not to mention a frustrating spike in difficulty. Dracula X also cut Maria as a playable character, leaving Richter as the only choice for slaying creatures of the night. North American audiences wouldn't see a true release for Rondo of Blood until 2007, when it was included with a 2.5D remake on the PlayStation Portable. Nintendo fans would get a crack at the game in 2008, when it was added to the Wii's Virtual Console as a special import title. What is a man? A miserable little pile of secrets. But enough talk about the 16-bit era. Let's talk about Castlevania on the PlayStation. That was Steve Bowling, Castlevania fan and US editor for Nintendo Life. He doesn't normally sound like that, but he's here to talk with me about what he feels is the best Castlevania game of all time, which is... Symphony of the Night. And why do you feel that way, Steve? 
Symphony of the Night really redefined what it is to be a Castlevania game. Uh, a lot of people throw around the Metroidvania term these days, but that wasn't really birthed until this game. And it's really what Castlevania has uh, been defined as ever since. Uh, before, you know, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, the 16-bit era and the 8-bit era, Castlevania was really just an action platformer. It wasn't until this game that the game that the series became about exploration and finding things and and added more RPG-like elements to it. So, for those people who have no idea what Metroidvania is even referring to, what are the staples of that kind? Those kinds of games. Right. So, as I mentioned before, uh, exploration is the major staple. Going through areas over and over again as you learn new abilities to get to places you couldn't reach before. Uh, if you've ever played a Metroid game, hence the name Metroidvania, uh, then you'll know that you'll find places that you can't quite reach or that you need some type of power-up to destroy an obstruction in your way. Uh, so there's backtracking is almost a, a key element or a key component of that, uh, that style of game. Uh, basically urges the player to take mental notes of spots that they find that they can't do anything with yet, and then to go back to those once they've gained some new ability to uh, further explore. Makes sense. So, why is Symphony of the Night considered to be one of the best Metroidvania games and Castlevania games of all time? Uh, it, it's a whole combination of things. First off, uh, Dracula's Castle is just wonderfully uh, realized in this game. Uh, there is the incredibly cheesy voice acting that's just super memorable, as uh, we started this segment with. And there's uh, the story is just really compelling. The main character, Alucard, was really likable. And at the time, it was visually a very, very impressive game, while most developers were... were uh, hung up on making 3D polygonal games. Uh, Konami basically said, let's see what we can do with uh, 2D sprite art in, on a 32-bit console. And the result was uh, just a, this gorgeous, massive game because they had so much more space and horsepower to work with. And the game, after it came out, you know, it, it gained some critical uh, responses that were good and they re-released it for the Sega Saturn. Did you ever play that version? I didn't, but uh, I heard plenty about it at the time. If I remember correctly, there was a character that was uh, playable only on the Saturn version, but I also remember hearing that there were some uh, performance issues with it and that it just wasn't up to par with the uh, PlayStation version. Fair enough. So if people want to play this game, supposedly the best Castlevania game ever made uh, to this Objective. point. Objectively. Objectively. game ever made. <laughs> where, where can they go and play it? Uh, right now, the easiest place to go play it is on PS4. They just released uh, the Castlevania Requiem collection, which includes Symphony of the Night and Rondo of Blood. Uh, if you're listening to this at the time of release, then it's been out for a little while. But uh, you should definitely go to PSN and pick it up. I think it's $20. So a really good price for, for an amazing piece of gaming history. Now, you said that they were focused on making this a 32-bit game, you know, like a, a, a two-dimensional pixel art type game. But at the same time, uh, Konami was also working on a 64-bit 3D game for the Nintendo 64. Did you ever play the uh, Castlevania 64? So, yes and no. Uh, I played it long before its release because uh, it was actually being worked on while I was a tester for a brief period of time at Konami. 
Uh, so I actually played this before it was finished, and it was enough to convince me not to play it ever again. Wow, that bad. What what made it so like clunky and unresponsive? Was it just the controls? Was it the environments? It was uh, basically your standard bad N64 3D platformer. Uh, it had control issues. It felt like the pacing was really poor. Enemy designs were pretty bland. Uh, you name it, pretty much anything that... I could think of that could be wrong with an N64 game was wrong with Castlevania 64. It was just not fun. It was not engaging. It didn't grab you the same way. It, it felt like Konami just basically wanted to show what they could do with 3D technology like so many developers of the era were doing and they produced a game that was completely forgettable. All right. Well, thanks for your input and thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. Following the success of Symphony of the Night on the PlayStation, and a somewhat shaky jump to full 3D on the Nintendo 64, Castlevania began to take off as a must-play mobile series. Three titles for the original Game Boy were released throughout the 90s, but none could hold a torch to their console counterparts. This all changed in 2001, when Konami launched the first in a trilogy of Castlevania adventures for the Game Boy Advance. Circle of the Moon, Harmony of Dissonance, and Aria of Sorrow, each released a year apart, all received critical acclaim from fans and critics alike. At this point in time, the series had held its Demon Castle Dracula title in Japan for most of the mainline games, but the Japanese producers decided it was finally time to resort to the Castlevania label for the latter two of the Game Boy Advance titles. Why? The producers feared the title would be misleading, as the game didn't actually see the protagonist battling against Dracula himself. Another Castlevania trilogy for the Nintendo DS, Dawn of Sorrow, Portrait of Ruin, and Order of Ecclesia followed the Game Boy Advance games with similar acclaim. Back in the realm of 3D, results had been mixed. 2003's Castlevania Lament of Innocence for the PlayStation 2 found a simple but enjoyable balance of combat and exploring in a 3D environment. The Nintendo Wii was still a hot commodity in 2008, but that didn't stop Castlevania Judgment, the series' first fighting game, from bombing hard. In 2010, it was decided that the then-Konami-owned Kojima Productions and the Spanish developer Mercury Systems would collaborate on a 3D reboot of the Castlevania brand called Lord of Shadows. The game and its two sequels were all well-received, but they would be the last in the Castlevania series to date. Castlevania is a true classic, one that got its start around the same time as many of Nintendo's first-party mainstays like The Legend of Zelda and Metroid. It's been over four years since we've seen a new Castlevania game, but with the success of the current Netflix series and the inclusion of Castlevania in the Super Smash Bros. franchise, many fans are hopeful that the series will rise once more from the grave. Now it's time for bonus stage, where I talk about interesting tidbits that I didn't really think fit anywhere else in the episode. Bonus tidbit number one. Much of the original Castlevania games lack current day high res art, as the majority of the original content was lost in a major earthquake during the late 90s in Kobe, Japan. Tidbit number two. 
David J. Pearson, the language creator responsible for all of the Dothraki and Valerian dialogue spoken on the popular fantasy show Game of Thrones, has admitted that he named the Dothraki word for whip, Belmont, as a not-so-subtle nod towards the whip-wielding Belmont clan. Bonus tidbit number three. After the success of the early Castlevania titles, Konami went on a bit of a musical kick with the game's more popular tracks. They released albums with classical styling, guitar-shredding metal rock, and most infamously, hip-hop. 1991's Perfect Selection Dracula was full of funky fresh beats and wonderfully cheesy rap lyrics about the one and only Dracula. Challenger Approaching is written, recorded, edited, and produced by me, Ben Bertoli, here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Our opening track was created by chiptune composer Branflakes. His music can be found on YouTube under the handle Branflakes325. All the Castlevania music samples used in this episode are property of Konami. Special thanks to Steve Bowling for coming on as our first ever expert. You can follow Steve on Twitter at Steve M. Bowling. That's B-O-W-L-I-N-G. If you have comments or suggestions for the podcast, aside from fixing my terrible droning voice and the strange inflections that I keep putting into sentences, feel free to tweet them at me at SuperBentendo or shoot me an email at HeyBertoli at gmail.com. If you like what you heard on this episode, you should definitely consider subscribing and leaving me a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Challenger Approaching will return with a new episode soon, so be on the lookout.